Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Everybody enjoys hearing stories of instances in the lives of people when they were rescued, or their whole course of life was drastically changed, or they discovered some new thing. Today's message is one of such stories, but it is more than an account of a life-changing event, though it is. It is an account of an eternity-changing event, yes, a story of salvation. Join us as evangelist Matthew Kane tells us about how he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his own Savior. He does this by relating it to the story of the publican and the Pharisee in the Bible. Publicans, tax collectors, were considered the worst of society. Sinners for sure. Pharisees? Well, they were looked up to as upright, moral, righteous citizens who were close to God. Sinners? Not at all in the estimation of many. Matthew uses this comparison as he describes his own life as both of these, once as the self-righteous Pharisee, but then as the poor sinner who needed to be saved. Luke chapter 18, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 9. And the Lord is going to talk about two groups of people, or two, two people that come into this temple to pray. One is a Pharisee, and they were a very religious group of people with a lot of influence in Israel's history at the time of Jesus. And the other individual is called a publican or a tax collector. They were looked upon by the Jewish people as traitors because they were working for the Roman government, occupied territory, and they also were well known. They had earned a reputation of being cheaters and fraudsters. They would take more taxes than what was owed and keep some for themselves and their desires to be rich. Okay, let's read Luke chapter 18, verse number nine. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner. That was his prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the second man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified. That word means to be declared righteous. Now, you could look at his life and say he wasn't righteous. He knew he wasn't righteous. He called himself a sinner. But now, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, 
growing up, I don't know that I heard prayers just exactly like these ones that we've read in Luke chapter 18, but I did attend prayer meetings because both my parents were Christians. They were faithful members in the fellowship of a local church. So we regularly attended many meetings of the church. I heard it from the time that I was a little baby before I can remember. I I never remember not wanting to be saved. That's just my experience. That's not the same for everybody. I know that I am very blessed to have heard the truth of God from a young age. I don't remember ever questioning that I would need to be saved if I wanted to be in God's heavenly kingdom. But the fact remained that I wasn't saved. I was not yet justified. I wasn't automatically on my way to heaven. So living in a country with a Christian heritage obviously doesn't make me a Christian. Having Christian parents, Christian brothers and sisters, that didn't make me a Christian. Going to church and gospel meetings and Sunday school and memorizing Bible verses and knowing the gospel message, as wonderful as that all was, that did not automatically make me a Christian or fit me for God's kingdom. What I needed was an understanding like what this tax collector came to in verse number 13 when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. My problem was, I would say, my natural thinking, and really this is the natural thinking likely for all of us, my natural thinking was a lot more like the Pharisee. I am not like other people. That's essentially what he's praying, right? He says, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like other people. I'm not like that sinner over there. I love this story because I see myself in it. But the key lesson I'd say in this story that the Lord Jesus told and what was so key in my own life is about being honest with God on our own real spiritual state and condition. And the tax collector with all of his frauds and cheating and stealings and sins, he finally repented and he honestly said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Pharisee still refused to be honest in his heart with God. Who is a Pharisee? This is just a line I just saw on Twitter today, and I thought it was just bang on. So I'm sharing it with you. I'd already decided I was looking at Luke 18, but when I saw this, it helped me. It encouraged me. The Pharisee is the man who has never seen his own guilt. That's where I was for a time in my own thinking. That's why I say I'm both men in the story, because I was the Pharisee. Let's think about three things that the Pharisee did not understand. And we're just taking this from the prayer of this proud Pharisee. It says at verse 11, he's standing by himself and he prayed or he's praying with himself. I think that there's likely an emphasis that there's not real communication with God here because he's not being honest. Pride is blocking his communication. All right, thing number one that the Pharisee did not understand the weakness of the sinner is inherent. Romans 5 and 12 speaks to all of us. It says that by one man, sin entered into the world and death because of sin and death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Isaiah 64 says that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We are all as an unclean thing in God's eyes. Jeremiah 17, that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's, that's not just a bad person's heart. That's a human heart. Or Romans 3, that there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 5 and 6 is a great text. When we were without strength, when we were weak, 
at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But that text describes us as weak and ungodly. And that's a description that fits mankind. But the Pharisee didn't see it that way. He sees himself as better than others. And he could have readily identified the weakness in the character of the tax collector and pointed it out and highlighted it out and made a big deal of it. But he seems relatively blind to his own weakness and his own sin. And we all have that tendency. We all have blind spots where we can overlook our own sin and make a big deal out of the sins of others. But what a massively important principle to understand. Romans 3, there is no difference between you and me and anyone else. In this sense, we've all sinned. We're all weak to save ourselves. So relatedly, a second thing then that the Pharisee doesn't understand is that the works of the sinner are ineffectual. He starts talking about his good works. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I get. And he's proclaiming his religiosity. He's proclaiming his self-righteousness. He doesn't grasp the truth of Ephesians 2, that by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And he's talking about how he's gone beyond the law of Moses with all of his fastings and all of his ties, and he's determined to gain salvation or to gain righteousness with God on his own. And he doesn't understand how God's salvation really works, that it's a gift of grace to sinners. John Wesley is a famous name of Christian history. Outside the London Museum in the city of London, there is the Wesley torch or the Wesley flame, it is called. It's an inscription from his journal because where that London Museum is built today is uh, back in the 1700s, which is where John Wesley became a Christian. But before John Wesley became a Christian, John Wesley traveled to North America from England to try and convert the heathen in his mind, to tell other people how they had to be right with God. But he wasn't right with God. He was trying basically to earn it by his own righteousness, by his own religious outreach and behavior. And while he's there, he realizes he isn't even right with God himself. And he went back to England. He was a bit of a discouraged man for a time. And then through the truth of Romans, he understood that righteousness comes by grace through faith in Christ alone, not depending on himself. Well, the Pharisee hasn't grasped that yet. He hasn't understood that the works of the sinner are ineffectual. Therefore, a related thing, a third thing he didn't understand is that the wages of his sin are inevitable. And I'm thinking now of Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. He's thinking he's on, he's on a clear path to heaven, but he's, he's actually still en route to hell. And he hasn't come to grips with that. Let me come back to my own story because personally, as much as I would have heard that presented clear and plain, I don't think I ever came to grips with the fact that I personally was going to hell for my sin until that night that I was humbled by God's spirit and submitted to God's word and repented, acknowledged my guilt and trusted Christ. So I I mentioned my upbringing and that I didn't question that the gospel was true, but it hadn't gripped me personally. You see what I like about the tax collector's prayer, as short as it is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He was taking God's truth personally, me, a sinner. That makes all the difference in our 
communication with God and our relationship with God when we let God's truth speak to our hearts personally. And instead of just kind of looking in a, in a general sense, we recognize this is something that God is saying to me. But initially, that wasn't my heart. My thinking was more like the Pharisee. Hey, I mean, I, I knew the Bible better than my friends at school. Most of them probably didn't even go to church. I could tell them how they had to be saved. I could quote the Bible to them. So I just, I shouldn't say I couldn't help it because I could help it. I was responsible for it. But I was just naturally looking at myself as superior to others, having a bit of a leg up on them. Now, what God wants us to do is compare ourselves to Christ. And in that case, we all fall short. But I wasn't doing that. What changed was a very sudden realization for me that the wages of my sin were inevitable. Romans 6 and 23 then is another key text for me, what I've already quoted. For the wages of sin, what we deserve, the payment we get, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it was very quick, and I'll expand on this in a moment, but very quick and very suddenly. Now, doubtless, that was the consequence of being exposed to the gospel for quite some time. But quickly and suddenly, my thinking changed, coming to grips with the fact I I wouldn't have denied that I had sinned. I would never have been so silly to say that. What I realized that night was that made me guilty before God, and that meant I deserved God's judgment for my sin. And that night, I changed places in the story. I changed characters. I changed from being the Pharisee to being the publican, the tax collector. So let's take a few minutes just to look at this prayer from the repentant publican and three things that he did understand. The Pharisee did not understand that the weakness of the sinner is inherent to who we are, that the works of the sinner are ineffectual, and that the wages of sin are inevitable apart from God's grace and salvation. But let's think about three things that the tax collector did understand. Number one, it says he's standing afar off. This man understood, I think, that he was at a distance, not just a distance morally from the Pharisee, but a distance from God. He's sensing something of his own unworthiness. It's like, I don't know if you know any of the Old Testament history, some of you surely do, and uh, how there was this disease of leprosy, not an exact equivalent to modern-day leprosy likely, but when the leper recognized he had leprosy, when that had been diagnosed, he was to go around saying, unclean, unclean. It's to keep other people away from him. He has to recognize he's, he's unclean and he's at a distance. Well, this is exactly how God's word describes us, at a distance from God, or like the prodigal son in Luke 15, who was far away from his father's home's blessing. That's us in our sin. So he understands his distance. He beats upon his chest as if to say, the problem is inside me. He's sensing his depravity, that he he is a sinner. Psalm 51 says that we're born in sin. And he's beating upon his chest as if to say, it's my sin that's burdening me. It's my sin that has led God to send a savior. It's my sin that means I need to be reconciled. Me, the sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. So in my experience on that Monday night in September of 1987, most of my family had gone to a meeting and I didn't go to the meeting that night. I can't even remember exactly the details why. My sister, I was only nine years old then, so I wasn't staying home alone. My sister was also home. She was doing some homework for school and I stayed home that evening. And to this day, I, I don't recall what exactly struck me to make me think 
about the gospel or spiritual realities. I, I was playing around and then I remember just sitting down at our kitchen table. The house was quiet. Maybe it was the thought that my other family members were Christians as far as I knew and they were out of the house. But there I was just sitting at the kitchen table coming to grips for the first time with the, the fact that I was on my way to a lost eternity at a forever eternal distance from God. And I went up to my bedroom and I was on my knees on my bed, basically having a little conversation with God. It was similar to this tax collector's experience, God be merciful to me a sinner. As I was coming to grips with the fact that I was a sinner, it's almost like I was trying again to make it more general. Sure, I'm a sinner, God, but everybody's a sinner. But that night, my problem was that I was a sinner. My problem wasn't that everybody else was a sinner. It's that I was a sinner. And as a result of being a sinner and having sins, my problem was that I was going to hell. And again, I would sort of try and brush that thought off because that's a bothersome thought. Nobody wants to dwell on that really, but I I wanted to brush that off. Well, sir, there's lots of people that are going to hell, but that wasn't my problem. My problem wasn't that lots of people were going to hell. My problem was that I was going to hell. And in that moment, I, again, I come back to this issue of being honest with God. This is the first time in my life that I would say I was honest with God, that I was the sinner, that I was going to hell, and that I deserved God's judgment for my sins. I hadn't robbed a bank. I hadn't uh, done all sorts of other wicked things, but it doesn't change the fact that I was a sinner. I had sins. And in that, in that moment of honesty, like this man in Luke 18, In that moment of honesty where I recognized that I was the guilty sinner and I deserved God's judgment, in that moment of honesty with God, God's grace was revealed to me. And I was humbled before God and God blessed me with his salvation in that moment. Again, so my experience, I'm saying, is like this tax collector. Let me point out to you the third thing he understood. And I'll explain more in a moment. He understood that he needed a sacrifice for his sins. That's implicit in what he says, and I'll explain that in a moment. A lot of people, when they're telling their conversions, you may hear them say something like, and then I realized that Jesus died for me. Well, that's not really my words. That's not exactly how I'd put it, but it's, it's unquestionably the truth. But I'd, I'd heard plenty of this message of Christ having died for sinners to save us from hell. My problem was recognizing that I was a sinner that deserved to be in hell. It's like, so I knew this message of the cross, but it's like its impact was hidden from me while I remained in the shoes of the Pharisee. I didn't see how much I needed it. When I saw how much I needed Christ and his death on the cross, it was no difficulty trusting him. And in that moment of acknowledging my guilt and my weakness, I just rested entirely upon Christ. Didn't have to look to myself to save myself. (laughs) I knew I couldn't. And so in that moment of acknowledging that I was the sinner that deserved his judgment, I just, I just threw myself entirely upon the Lord Jesus. And you see, that's exactly the type of people he saves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he's done the work to save us by his cross death. So now this is what the Pharisee says. In our English Bible, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But Luke uses here, as he records this man's words, a particular word for merciful, a bit of a unique word. It's not just the regular word for mercy. It's a word that conveys this man's understanding that there was to be a sacrifice for his sin. If you are into 
Bible theology and terms associated with the gospel. You can look up the concept of propitiation because that's what this word is saying. It's like he's saying this, God, have mercy on me on the basis of a sacrifice of someone else that will satisfy you. He knows he's got nothing to bring to God. He's a sinner. He's got lots of sins. And all he can do is look to God for grace and mercy. God has that for him. And God has that for me. And he has it for you because the death of the Lord Jesus was for everybody. He died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15. He gave himself as a ransom for all, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And when he died, he satisfied God's judgment against all of our sin. So anybody who rests on him alone is redeemed and saved. Or in our word of Luke 18, they are justified. This is a word like where we can imagine a courtroom where the guilty person comes into the courtroom. The evidence is presented. There's no doubt about their guilt, but the judge still declares them righteous. Not, not because they're innocent, but because someone else has taken their place. Someone else has taken their punishment to satisfy the judge's righteousness. And that's what the Lord Jesus did at the cross. He is righteous, no sin. And he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And so on the basis of what Christ has done, when I trusted Christ, God justified me. This man went down to his house justified. And I was forever justified once and for all. My sanctification, my growth in my walk with God has been step by step. Here a little, there a little. It's gradual. I'm still developing. I'm sometimes stumbling. But God doesn't go back on his word. And he is the one who justified me, declared me righteous. So that never changes. When I say he declared me righteous, that doesn't mean that I became sinlessly perfect or perfectly righteous in my life at that moment. My righteousness was in Christ in that moment when I rested on him at the age of nine in my bedroom. And my righteousness is still in Christ. I'm still depending on him. And I'd still say since 1987, that it's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's the greatest blessing. And we pray for others, all others, to come into the same blessing. Yes, my friend, everyone who is going to heaven has a time when they took the place of the publican in this parable. They acknowledged their sin before God. Then they look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to save them from their sins. Do you have a story of salvation and deliverance? Every Christian has one. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. 
There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest to you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>